The Immoral Woman and the Beast, Revelation 17. This is the Tomorrow Christian today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I think it is much more profitable to read your word, to understand what it is that you are trying to tell us in this great book. Revelation 1.3 says that if we try to read it, if we make an attempt, we'll be blessed. And I would like to be blessed. And there are many people that want to read this book and be blessed as well. And they don't understand, and I don't understand. But we can read the words, and we can struggle with it in our minds. And if you wish to give us what what it means, or you wish to show us little trinkets or little epiphanies, the Holy Spirit is more than generous. Your Holy Spirit is more than generous. We thank you for your word. Your word is like iron in this world that's very, that's shaking back and forth. And give us that wisdom to discern and uh, forgive me for any words come out of my mouth that don't glorify you and that are foolish. Please forgive. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these podcast technology to be able to read your word and broadcast it out to whomever may listen so that the Holy Spirit may touch them too. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It says in the first chapter, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'm going to show you the judgment of the immoral woman, great prostitute, who is seated on many waters. So we got some, we got a many waters going on. So in Revelation 18, we had a lot of ships. We had a big sea. It was like, what's with all the ships? And it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed um, immorality and with the wine of that immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So they become drunk. Does that mean they're like drunk? They don't care anymore. They're apathetic, sleepy. Bible says to be sober, to be vigilant, to be watching, to be expecting, to be thinking. Jesus said, how is it that you cannot discern the signs of the times? When the sun is red, you know it's going to be clear. When it's a certain way, you know it's going to be rainy. He says, how is it that you can know all these things in nature, but you can't define, you can't discern the sign of the times spiritually? We are living in very uncertain times. I personally believe it is the end times. I was looking at a commercial and they were driving a brand new car and the people in there are just really taken with their car and I'm thinking, you know, that's how I wanted to be in my life. I wanted to be settled. I wanted to be normal. I didn't want to be a nutcase. I don't want to be a fundamentalist weirdo. I don't want to be perceived as that. I don't want to come across like that. And I'm not trying to be that. I don't think I'm that, but the people in the commercial just look so settled. Like it's just a car. That's all it is. Cars come, cars go. I'm not picking on the car. I'm just saying sometimes people in this world just seem so settled. Like there's a big express train coming our way here. You know, like the two boys in the Ray Bradbury story, something wicked this way comes. Something big and bad is coming our way. We shouldn't be ruled by fear, but at least we should know what's going on. There's a lot of things going on in this world. There's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of trepidation, a lot of unhappiness. And we may not be able to stop it, but we can understand it. And the Holy Spirit can fortify our hearts and give us peace. And I think I would like to have that. I would like to have the peace that passes understanding. And I think that that peace is given when I read God's word. Someone said, when you're reading the Bible, 
the author is sitting right next to you. No other book can say that. If God is sitting right next to me and God is sitting right next to you, as you listen to the words of the Bible and as you read the words of the Bible, that's huge. That is huge. That's huge, my friends. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, like a, a red beast, scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and 10 horns. Huh. I lived at a house at 107. And uh, that's where my marriage came apart, 107. I wish I had known that. Maybe I wouldn't have bought that house. Seven heads and 10 horns. Well, I know that horns represents authority. You know, horns represents authority. Let me just see if uh, Mr. MacArthur has anything about that. Does he say anything about that? It says the horn has seven heads and ten horn, seven heads and ten horns. Sorry, he gives a bunch of different references for this. Daniel seven twenty five, Daniel eleven thirty six, Second Thessalonians two verse four. Um, it's also thirteen verse one. But I think that's actually for the blasphemous names. So blasphemous names, blasphemy trying to be like God, self-deification. And then it says for the seven heads and ten horns, this pictures the extent of Antichrist's political alliances. See notes on Revelation 17, 9 to 12, and then verses 13 to 1. So that's coming. Definitely we'll discover as we go backwards in time, we're sort of going backwards. We're going back to today from the tomorrow, and we'll see these things. So very interesting. So keep that in mind. On her forehead is written the name of mystery. Always oh, in the forehead. The mark of the beast is on the forehead or in the hand. Or Cain gets a mark on his forehead. Like, what does the forehead represent? Is it just the forehead? Do we just want to tattoo it on your face where we can't where we we can't possibly forget that it's there? Does the forehead mean where your brain is? Where your where your where your head is, where your information is? Is that what it means? Where your operating system is? Is that what that means when it says your forehead? Maybe maybe your forehead is where your heart is. Because your heart, that's who you are. You know, your hand, maybe that your hand is what you're doing. But your forehead is why you're doing it. Like the reasons in your head. The personality um, behind the behind the forehead. So it's, it's an external mark, a tattoo, a mark. But it actually represents an internal way that you think. How your thought process actually flow. So there's something about her mind that's bad, that's twisted, that's evil. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And I've got to note their cruelty. So the thing is, she sounds like a vampire. She sounds like a bloodsucker. She's sucking the blood of the martyrs, the martyrs that are good and pure and clean. I mean, I guess we siphoned off Jesus's blood. We were dead and Jesus gave us a blood transfusion. He gave us a new heart and he gave us a blood transfusion to have a new circulatory system that that what would be in us is not just flesh but it's the spirit too the holy spirit so jesus has given us a blood transfusion because we needed it we were dying but this woman sounds like a vampire she sounds like the undead she sounds like someone who has deified herself she thinks that she's alive she thinks that she's arrived she's on top of the world she sits atop this beast so she's sitting atop a beast and this beast is some kind of power it, it it you know and she's the religious part of it she's the corrupt part of it 
but she's an immoral woman, someone who is dark and shady and dicey. And it's the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her in verse 7. This weird mystery, you know, it's like in the church that I was in, everything was a big conspiracy theory. Everything was a big secret. Everything had to do with vaults and secrets and these writings and that writings. There's a lot of weirdness where there's sin. You know, God is very transparent about who he is. Oh, God works in mysterious ways. Well, God doesn't always tell us what's under the hood. But it seems that God is very transparent is that he transacts in relationships. God wants to fix relationships. He wants to build people up. He wants to bring people together. He wants people to be able to know and to see and to understand. Not the devil. Devil's in darkness. He evades the light. He avoids the light because in the light, his deeds are seen. So let's keep it all a mystery. Let's keep it hush hush. Let's keep it under the radar. Everything is always a big secret in, in part of my family. Everything was a big secret. You ask somebody a question, a normal question. Oh, it's a big secret. Can't tell you. Be you might be trying to figure me out or you're knowing my business. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't want to know your business. Just asking you a question. That's it. Everything is a big secret in, my, in part of my family that are under this religious denomination. Jesus wasn't secretive. He says he, when they asked him, um, when they were accusing him, he said, why are you asking me? I didn't do anything in secret. I was teaching in the temple. Why do you ask me? Why don't you ask those who heard me? I was telling you exactly what God is about, exactly what I was about. And you're just leveling all these fake accusations at me. Why don't you ask the people who heard me? Why do you keep asking me questions and you don't listen to my answers? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So evil doesn't want to be transparent. Evil wants, evil pretends to be transparent, but it's actually very secretive, very dark and very mystery. And even Satan is called the mystery of iniquity. He was made perfect. It says, and is, was it Ezekiel or Isaiah where it says, you were made, you were perfect in all your ways till the day that iniquity was found in you. Where did that iniquity come from? Satan was a perfect being. He wasn't flawed. Where did these thoughts come from? God gave us all with, with, with reason. We, could, uh, we had choice. Why did he choose a dark path? Where did that come from? Where did that, or, or did he just choose a different path? Well, you know, I've been thinking and I'm just a big thinker. I'm a deep thinker and I don't kind of like what God is doing. It always seems we're doing stuff for other people. When do we get to do something for ourselves? People could say that and it would sound reasonable, but then it somehow morphed into darkness. It morphed into it. Maybe that's why God has to allow Satan to hang himself. Because if God had just destroyed Satan, people would have said, oh, you know what? Anytime anybody has a different opinion from God, God doesn't like it. And he goes, Psh! and the lightning strikes and the thunder strikes and then he's gone. So God said, you know, I have to let this guy show his true colors. I have to show the world, the universe, that um, when anybody ever makes a decision that is not my will, that decision leads away from life. It leads away from relationships. It leads away from good relationships. It actually leads to death. It actually leads to pain and hurt and sorrow. God allowed Satan to do what he did. So the whole universe can know and believe and verify that the judgments of God are good. That's my opinion. 
Verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. I don't know, that's weird. Was and is and is not. It sounds like it's all future. It sounds like something that has been slated to happen. It's, it's happening and it's going to continue to happen. And it's coming from the bottomless pit. What is the bottomless pit? I would say it's the earth. I would say that somehow it's the earth in a bad state or maybe it's coming from the earth. The earth has been tainted by sin and Satan seems to be constrained to the earth. I mean, Satan says that he's the king of the earth. Well, he's not the king of the earth. He didn't make anything, but it's, this is kind of his this is kind of his prison. You know, we're we're kind of we're kind of trapped on a on a planet with a crazy lunatic running around who has a little bit too much power. You know, my wife and I, when we were dating, I mean, this is really weird, but we're not weird. We're not the Adams family. I don't know how this happened, but she was wearing all black and we happened to drive into a graveyard that was near her house. But we just wanted to hang out in the car and just talk. And we just drove into this, you know, it was like a gate and it had this nice grass and it had these tombstones. And, you know, it was just like, a, there was nobody there. It was just totally isolated. And, you know, and I'm thinking, here we are in a graveyard. We're, we're like in the graveyard. Like, are we weirdos? <laughs> I'm trying to talk to this girl and she, you know, she's sitting on one side and I'm sitting on the other side and we were just, we were just talking. That's all. But, you know, here we are sitting in a great, having a date. I don't know if you could call it a date, maybe a quasi date in a graveyard. Okay. Like that's just too weird. Like I think about that and I go, was I nuts? Was she crazy? I don't think we were crazy. We were just actually younger and we weren't in love, but we were kind of friends and we're just talking. And there's this, I could see these gravestones around, you know, part of the scenery behind her head. And I'm going, we are crazy people. I'm un I wonder if it's the, the guys in the Adams family, if they started this way, you know, hey, you get some peace in the graveyard. And I'm thinking, this is what the earth is. We're all born, raised, and we live our lives behind enemy territory. This is the territory of the enemy. The enemy is about death. Satan is about death. He wants to walk away from God. He wants to take as many people with him. We're living on a graveyard, a gravestone planet. We're living in the cemetery. This world has death. This world is tainted. It's, it's sinful. It's, it's eroding. It's corroding. It's decaying. It's been subject to vanity. Solomon was the second smartest guy in the world and he wrote Ecclesiastes or contribute to it and he said vanity vanity always vanity in Romans 8 it says that we this world has been subjected to vanity to pride to ego to death to hard-heartedness to sin scary stuff Keats the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come so the people who are marveling at this religious power, who are awed by it, are not written in the book of life. Their sense is they've been deceived. Satan has blinded these people and he's blinded them to the fact that this, this religious political power is evil, but they see something good. They see something good in it or wonderful or transformative and it's not, it's something evil. They've not been written in the book of life. I pray that God will give us the Holy Spirit that when this happens, that we will see past, because these are words. I don't quite know what this is. It's a metaphor, but it's, it's, it's talking about something to come. I feel that in my heart. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. 
It says it calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must re remain only a little while. A mountain? A king? Is it a metaphor? Is it a virus? I mean, the coronavirus was the seventh virus. So I thought, oh, maybe, th maybe it's talking about the coronavirus. I mean, why is it seven? Why is, you know, seven is the number of completion. When seven occurs... Does that mean we've rounded a corner and what's going to happen afterwards is the beginning of something um, new that's better or something new that's worse? As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belonged to the seven. So it's coming out of the seven, but it's an eighth. Well, I thought eight was the number of new beginnings. Sounds like this is a new beginning, but it sounds like something even worse. It's, it's a, it's a, it, it, it's part of the seven, but it's a transformation maybe for the worse. It says it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. It's funny, Jesus is the eight. The, the number of eight is like Jesus coming out of the tomb, coming death, spitting out Jesus because Jesus is alive. But this this other beast, who's also an eight, sounds like it's, it's it looks like it's alive. It looks, it's a vampire. It looks like it's alive, but it's actually part of the dead. They have to receive authority as kings for one hour. Oh, it says, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. What's with the hour thing again? Is this like just a small amount of time or is it just some kind of allegiance? It's a religious allegiance. It's a political alliance. It's some kind of religio-political power. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. So does this allegiance start here and then it's a short period of time and then Jesus comes in Revelation 19? Because somehow there's someone called the beast in Revelation 19. He gets thrown into the fire. So does it start here? Does this, does this morph into something really bad here in this chapter? How many years are between chapter 17 and chapter 19? I'm assuming that chapter 19 is sequential, that it's afterwards. How many years are going to elapse between these two chapters, if that's the case? The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So you see that? The, these ships that are transacting all these things, I don't know what ships these are in Revelation 18, but the waters are people. The waters are the sea. Jesus calms the waters because Jesus calms people. He calms souls. Jonah was in the boat and the boat was rocking all over the place. And he said to these guys, throw me on the sea. And Jonah, whose name starts with a J, was thrown on the sea. So the, the, the preacher guy, the gospel guy, was thrown on the sea and it calmed the sea. Jesus' message calms people because Jesus' messages are for people's hearts, not just their heads. It's for your heart. It's how you live. It's how you have peace. It's how you function. Jesus is God in flesh and God knows how you function. He made you. The people who made this computer that I'm looking at, this Dell computer, I got a Dell from 2014. It still works. It's got a lot of dust in here. The people who made this computer, I mean, I'm not, no, I'm just, I have nothing to do with Dell, but I'm just calling it as an example. They made this thing. They know how it works. God knows how your heart works. He also gave you free will that you don't have to opt. You don't have to go to him. You can go to yourself. You can go to somebody else. But God knows how your heart works. 
God made relationships. He is relationship. It says, The waters that you saw in verse 15 where the prostitute is seated, where the immoral woman is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, the beast, will hate the immoral woman. They will make her desolate and they will devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So these people are aligning with this person. Do they think they're aligning with a God-centered uh, person? Do they think that the woman, this religious, this false church or this religious political, do they think they're doing good? They think they're doing good. They're being deceived. They want to do good or they think they're doing good or they don't want to do good, but they're aligning with someone who is not good. Someone or something that looks alive, that looks good, that looks like it has something to offer, but it's not. This woman is not a giver. She's a taker. She's going to take their lives, going to suck the juice right out of them, and they don't even seem to know. And God is allowing it to happen. It's allowing, I mean, you know, we all killed Jesus at the cross. It was a horrible way to die. And, but yet God used an evil, evil people. You know, he used all the nations, Jews and Gentiles alike, to kill Jesus because we all did. And yet from that ugly act, salvation was accomplished. God never loses. Even when it looks like the plan is that he is to lose, or it looks like he's lost, he wins anyways. You can't outthink God, no matter what you do. So why bother? Why bother trying? Just go with God. You'll never be sorry. Verse 18, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. What city? A real city or a metaphorical city? It says this woman is a city. She's a church or a denomination or some gigantic organization that has, that has the control of everybody. Religious control? Is it, is, does this great city or denomination or organization, do they tell people what religion is acceptable and what is not? Well, that is control. That's what the devil is about. He, he presents freedom, but it's really control. Jesus seems to present control, but it's really about grace and freedom. God gives you the freedom to accept grace. And if you accept grace, then you will have freedom. I mean, before we could, we could uh, walk outside, not worry about anything, the doors were unlocked when I was growing up. Now you dare not, you now you don't have that freedom to do that. Lock your door, make sure the door is locked. You gotta be safe. You can't take chances anymore. We we got rid of we got rid of God in our society. We don't we don't want God. We've moved on now. We don't need to go to church. Church is for crazy people. Going to church? Yeah, we've moved past all that. We're we're so enlightened now. We have our phones. We know information at the drop of a hat. Religion is for people who don't know anything. It's for people who don't know science. We're so free. I don't think so. This woman has dominion 
over the kings of the earth, this city, this place. It's about control. Narcissistic, toxic, self-deification, self-preservation, control, not freedom. I want to be free. What about you?